everybody, welcome to another episode of Alchemist Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Ho, the millennial who finds interest in anything and everything related to architecture. I have two very special guests with me, Jake Wilson and Emma Burton, and we'll be talking about architecture media. So Jake and Emma, I met the both of them during my studies in architecture, and we I think I was in the same studio with Emma for a while. I don't think I've been in the same studio as Jake before, but we all floated around uni quite a fair bit. And after graduating, the two, like the three of us, evidently we had our different goals and ambitions. But I find that the three of us have one thing in common, and it is about architecture's representation in the media, or if not, how media is being portrayed in architecture. And recently, I believe the both of you have started this platform called Schema, which is really, really exciting and impressive. And yeah, I would love to get the two of you to tell me and tell the audience what Schema is about. Yeah. Well, do you want to start, or do you want me to start? Yeah, I can start off. Um, So I guess... Personally, my time at university um, got sort of sort of caught up in all the weird and wonderful things that you learn um, to do with, you know, architectural history and, and concepts and all those different agendas. And so it's so great that you dive in so deep um, and it changes the way that you see things and it's a great way to start sort of your architectural journey. But I think sort of once you get out in the big wide world again and you start to practice, I think you realise that some of that is sort of lost on a lot of people, be that clients or just general sort of friends that you get to talk to. And so it's, you know, that's that's hard because architecture is so, so important within our society. Um, and yet sometimes there's a bit of a gap uh, between what we do as architects and the way that we approach things and then sort of the general public and how they see things as well. And so I guess Schema has then been founded uh, with the intention of maybe addressing that gap um, and building a bridge between us and sort of a lack of architectural consciousness and sort of utilising schema as a platform to convey coherent uh, and accessible ideas on architecture. I guess the, the end goal then is to maybe grow and contribute schema uh, into a diverse series of thoughts and observations on architecture and design, um, all in the hope of sort of building a greater appreciation and understanding of, of architecture and its potential. I definitely obviously agree with all those all those points. Basically, like the overstimulation is, is such an issue now in the media um, with pretty much everything and especially with architecture and design. I guess it's the world is so full of images and things that makes it really, really hard to get any sort of background information. You know, there's all this sort of stuff to absorb. You know, I've always like really loved the quote, good design is obvious, but great design is is transparent and I think it's really relevant because just the way that the media industry chooses to market architecture and and it's really a sort of visual visual thing like it's really sort of in your face and and you experience it with with your eyes and really architecture is sort of about being there and being being present and the program and integrating really easily into architecture so I think what schema for me is trying to do is is to try and you like address this very you know, obvious overstimulation and misconception of what architecture really is about. Um, it's it's really about starting discussions on, you know, what the architecturally designed home is and what everyone wants through, you know, images on Pinterest and all that kind of stuff and really getting down to the, the points that, you know, it it's where we live and it's how we live and it's not just what it looks like. And, and that is definitely one thing that, you know, makes gives it all the hype when really it's it's just a form of design. It's everywhere. It's not fancy or 
or fabulous or anything. It's just, it's just everywhere and we live our lives in it. Mm. I think it's interesting when you talk about how great architecture is being transparent because one of the reasons why I founded this podcast was because of Brendan Cormier from Humans of New York. One of the captions he had in the interview he did was somebody was saying that we are all victims of the architect because architecture is evidently everywhere, which Mm. I find it's quite interesting because I feel like whenever we hear the term architecture, it's really visually based. Well, at least it's surface spaces um, just from our previous discussions early on to this interview. And what I find is that perhaps in the past, our conception of architecture, the way it has been portrayed in the media, so not just like publications and social media, but in film and television, we always see it's your it's stuck in time, like it's frozen in the 60s where everybody has those fancy blueprints and then you have these big, massive structures. And I think just because of, as you say, like the images you see on Pinterest, it has gradually departed away from that detail and then therefore we are looking at the images, aren't we? So I think it's interesting just looking at schema and reading some of the articles that you have. It's always nice to bring the historical context to it. But a part of me wonder, when it comes to knowing about the context, is it also the process that is quite important itself as well? Yeah, I mean, I think in one way, the process is the context. I think there's so much more that goes into a building than just what you see. And so many great projects that we learn about at UCLA University are highlighted because of their process. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that sort of an architect can go about something and it's about how they got to that point as opposed to the, the built form. I don't know, does it like change your mind if you know the reason behind, you know, a certain design or it's, you know, it just really has an impact if you can get in the architect's head and know why they do things. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty important and it's good to know. It's just good to have that background info, even if it's just a, like a snippet or something. It's just, it's really important to the design because it, it basically played the whole part in what it became. So and it explains everything about what you're what you see you know if you go to a an art gallery you, you see the, the art piece on the wall but you also read the description below yeah. it we don't necessarily have that yeah, with yeah. a building which is you know unfortunate um so it's about how do you get people to then take that step and take and, and make their own research yeah um but certainly i think it, it bears a huge weight on how you perceive a space and yeah uh, how you judge it yeah yeah because i find that because in the education that we receive in architecture, a lot of us have also departed from that structure and like knowing the bones and the foundations fully and we don't properly experience that until we are in the industry, which I find it's sometimes quite a shame. And so because of that, I think to us that kind of detriment is detrimental because for us, we are then only catered towards aesthetics as well. And I also like think about like where we get inspiration in terms it's now it is on the internet. We don't really have as much access to the library as we used to because we weren't really told or encouraged to go to the libraries as often to get those print publications and such. And a part of me wonder if that is also your scheme in terms of like bringing back that essence of taking time, looking through resources when it comes to appreciating architecture too. I think that's sort of, yeah, the role that we're trying to assume and sort of yeah. there's a lot of writing out there mm. um, and this is sort of maybe a bit of the, the gap between architect and, and the general community as well. There's a lot of writing that 
may not necessarily make sense to a lot of people. Um, so I guess we're, we're trying to toe a careful line between oversimplifying yeah. um, mm-hmm. and making it too too much uh, in layman's terms, but still making it accessible to everyone because much like good design needs to be accessible to everyone, the way that sort of we approach it and how it sort of can be read and understood has to be sort of universal as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think um, we should really, you know, have that fine line between what Instagram and what blogs and what magazines do with all the pretty pictures and getting that nice balance between that and the description. So there's so many things that you have to think about when um, trying to explain architecture because, yeah, you don't want it to seem too overwhelming or confusing and you don't want it to seem too pretty and perfect. So, yeah, it's it's hard and that's what we're trying to do. So mm. hopefully that comes across. I think it's about sort of taking that, whether it be the process or the, the context or whatever it is, and then relating that back to what you see or what you feel in that space. Yeah. Sort of helping to explain how A gets to B. Mm. I'm quite curious to see like, how you try and not make architecture too pretty because I find mm-hmm. that ultimately it's such a subjective term because we are taught yeah. to look at aesthetics. Mm. And I don't know how you're doing that as well. Yeah, I don't know. It's, um, it's yeah, we sort of grown up with like this very featurist kind of design world in Australia like everything's sort of just a feature you know let's do a feature wall let's do a feature (laughs) colour and this and this and it all like the whole house and becomes a feature so I think we've been really taught to Mm. look at the aesthetics heavily when really you know you really just need a bedroom and a bathroom and this and this and you know, you need the things first, um, but that's not really how we've sort of learnt about it, not necessarily like in university, but just as a general society. Yeah. Then do you think that if that's the case, like going on the mission statement of making it more accessible and approachable, it's like then does that dictate how you have been publishing or like spreading schema or like the mission of schema around to everybody? Like how have you been distributing it to reach the target audience yeah it certainly does play a part because anything that accessible when you're actually there i guess has to be accessible just from from the from the from its uh, outset so i guess in its current form schema is a website first and foremost um with the content that we are creating at the moment which is predominantly sort of mm-hmm. written with a bit of bit of photo work um we've found that a website is probably the, the best and easiest way to present those things yeah. for us i think the writing that we're doing is something that you need to sit down and pay attention to you can't just you know swipe across absorb it all in a matter of seconds and just sort of keep scrolling so that's hard because that's sort of the way that a lot of people are consuming information at the moment yeah um so i guess for us instagram and and those sort of platforms help bridge that gap a little bit yeah. um, where we're sort of using Instagram or Facebook to maybe market say the articles or the, the posts that we're, we're creating yeah. and distributing sort of links or glimpses into those articles mm. um, through those platforms. And we found that that sort of has yeah. been received fairly well. I think most of the people that are clicking onto our website are through say the Instagram. Yeah, definitely through the social channels. Yeah. You just want to grab people as easy as like as you can you just really need to get that initial hook and I think even if they're just reading a paragraph or they're reading an intro you know it's better 
that they're reading something instead of just like nothing at all. So we tend to put a bit of a description in the Instagram post or maybe do like polls and things which are really great for audience engagement and that Mm. sort of thing. It makes people feel like, you know, they're being listened to or that sort of thing. But, yeah, then from there you sort of have to get them to the website, which, Mm. um, yeah, we, we haven't done too badly with at the moment. We always see like a really big spike in engagement on the website when we post on social media um and you know we we don't have a massive following or anything so yeah it's just a really quick easy way um without being too like fluffy about it yeah it's it's a bit of a contradiction at the moment where we've got content yeah that isn't necessarily made for those those platforms at the moment so it's yeah using it as a a stepping stone yeah as if i like there's that challenge of you don't know how long people are going to engage with your post as well um, in mm. terms of like when you're trying to balance your text in comparison to balancing it within, I don't know, the screen dimensions because you don't want your caption to be overly long that by the time it cuts off, people might mm. lose interest and scroll off as yeah, well yeah. as I find that because I don't know if COVID has made people spend longer times on their phone. For me, it's the opposite. I've completely cut off as much social media as I can on my phone really bad. Um, And so it makes you question like whether in terms of screen time, do people tend to prioritize screen time on the phone in comparison to the laptop? And I don't know if that also impacts the way you design the website. I find, I think it's just probably, this is from me being exposed to a few of my friends who have transitioned into UX lately. And so that has opened up different avenues of conversations in terms of transitioning of how to engage with readers too. Yeah, it's, it's hard because, you know, we've never done a website like this before. Um, I don't know. It's just we just go on what we feel has been sort of engaging when you look at the draft of the post or that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but, yeah, no, that it is hard. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any inspirations or like do you have any like go-tos mainly when it comes to finding the post and such because the way schema when I first approached it I thought it was really impressive I don't I hope you're not offended by it but when I first saw I was thinking this reminded me of how design files engage with the audience in terms of just knowing how to start a conversation with somebody and I think that what makes your website unique in terms of yeah just again going back to the topic of how do you engage with the audience and I find that not many media companies all they generally do is put a statement and a photo and that's it so I think they are aware that people are on social media but I don't think they are aware of the impact of engaging with social media as well and so that's why I find that what you guys are doing so far is really fun to watch to develop over time too well thank you first and foremost yeah. you can't say, I think we're both smiling yeah, no, that's <laughs> really no, it's really nice um yeah I think that is a, a real focus yeah. at the moment obviously we we're heavily invested in what what we're writing about and yeah. the ideas that we want to present um mm. but we're very mindful that you know, it's not just for us, it's for yeah. other people to read and engage with. So it's not just about sort of writing something and going, here you go, here's my idea, do mm. with it what you want. Um, it's sort yeah. of creating a platform that people can then engage with that, 
Yeah, I think um, what you said about the design files, it's really true. Same with something like ArcDaily. Mm. I think ArcDaily is more targeted to people in the industry and design files is definitely targeted at, you know, your everyday person that wants to get a bit of design into their life. And I think both engage in very sort of different but unique and in like very, they, they're catchy and they draw you in and that sort of thing. Um, it's just obviously two different audiences. Um, and probably somewhere in the middle is maybe where we're aiming for. So you obviously have that content first and foremost. That's we want to write the things that we want to write, mm. but you still want to have that, you know, nice presentation and that sort of design files type of, of thing. And that just helps transition between the two i think so hopefully if we can get better at doing that the website will just grow naturally towards where we want it to go because design files and arc daily not to mention design and design milk so how do you feel in comparison because obviously scheme is a response to those popular websites and such so how do you feel about those current websites about like do you have any areas you really, really like that you can hope to adopt someday? Do you have any things you'd like to challenge and such? Well, uh, for me, I'm, I'm an Arc Daily person. I, yeah. <laughs> I'll log on to Arc Daily, I'll, you know, I'll confess. For, for me, the strength of Arc Daily is that it's, it's almost like a news, yeah, a news it's, website it's a news for website. architects. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you log on, you've got your feed of most recent projects, yeah. which sort of means that you know, anytime you log on, you're sort of up to date with all the, the recent sort of big yeah. Big news in architecture, recently designed, um, what sort of competitions are going on, yeah. um, what big firms are sort of making moves. But it's also got that level where everything's sort of archived so you can use it as a, a research tool yeah. beyond that where you can look up projects by category or architect. Yeah. So I guess it serves two purposes there. I obviously love ArcDaily as well. I like, <laughs> I'm more of, um, you know, I spread myself between a lot of forms of design. I love architecture, but I also like product design. I like fashion design. I like all kinds of design and that. Um, those other websites sort of lean more towards that as well. Things like Design Boom and Yellow Trace, they're really good for that kind of thing. So I just find like I have a lot of interest in those because of its their broad variety of, of news and um, events and all that kind of stuff but yeah obviously like the way arc daily definitely categorizes things like i think that's really um key and important it's just easy um it makes the experience a lot easier for people to find things so that's something definitely implemented as well did you ever come across these when you were studying or were you more exposed to architecture media like after uni because i find that Perhaps I wasn't diligent enough, but my world of the architecture media was quite pigeonholed into, I guess, like, you know, architecture Victoria or architecture Australia. And you only would see those two or even Artichoke occasionally if you visit the right places. And so, yeah, I'm curious to know whether you, when did you come across these? Well, for me, uh, maybe it's a, it's based on how you sort of, how your tutor sort of brings you up in that first semester. For me, one of the first things we did was we were given a certain designer that we had to go to the library and pick out a bunch of books for. Mm. Um, and, the, and so the whole semester was sort of based around using the library as a resource in that regard. Um, I don't know how it sort of moved to the internet in years beyond that, but certainly I was exposed maybe a bit more than you were, Kim. Mm. Um, I don't know how that happened. Um, yeah, I guess. A bit, bit of good fortune, maybe. Yeah, um, perhaps. <laughs> but, yeah, certainly I think 
it's it's something that's sort of drilled into you at architecture school is using using precedence and doing your research so you sort of find those platforms and and avenues yourself pretty quickly whereas you know I, I'd be surprised if the average person knows what Arc Daily is, for example. Mm-hmm. Emma, yourself? Um, I think beginning of uni, I was a bit like you, Kim, and it was sort of a bit pigeonholed. And then, yeah, maybe the tutor, maybe just like exploring myself, probably got more of those architecture websites and, and magazines into sort of my system and then, you know, once you find one, you find so many more. So it just kind of snowballs after that. But, yeah, I think, like, we all have heaps of architecture books by, you know, written by the architect on their projects as well. Um, So that was a massive way to get input from all kinds of design and um, different styles and things as well. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I guess it took time. But, you know, if... If you're in the industry, it's a lot easier. Mm. Um, you're more exposed to it. Otherwise, through Instagram and that kind of stuff, it's more like your everyday ones that just come up <laughs> in your feed kind of thing. If you sort of look at how apps are now a lot smarter, it might sort of speed up that process. Where Yeah, that's true. You know, all those algorithms sort of help. Yeah. Once you start looking at something, all of a sudden it starts popping up on your feed a lot more. Yeah, um, exactly. That's how I would follow another page on Instagram, for example, where I mm. keep seeing their content coming up. Yeah, hashtags up following them. that kind of stuff. Um, maybe it's a bit smarter now. But, yeah, certainly if you apply sort of a general rule, maybe sort of it depends on your your mentors Yeah, and sort of external services sort of pointing you in the right direction. Mm. I find that personally for me it's be, it comes across, yeah, as you said, like who you meet and who educates you in terms of sharing those resources. For me, I think it's just perhaps the way I like to look for my precedents. It's always the unconventional. I don't, I try, I find that if I looked at precedents too much, like architecture precedents, I unconsciously copy some of their forms without really yeah. realizing it. And yeah. that terrifies me quite a fair yeah. bit. And I think, the thing with architecture media is it's because it's sometimes it's quite a niche like it is written for a dedicated audience I find even though we're still running English but how we phrase things can Mm -hmm. come as of putting in therefore put everybody away and not to mention like it's how architecture has been marketed that I think is a problem because we are although involving like the builder Um, even perhaps like the architect and like the team who's involved in it. But I think that there are still a lot of voices missing when it comes to talking Mm. about architecture. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think the biggest voice that's missing is always the client's voice Mm. when they're talking about a project um, in a magazine or on a blog. Like Mm. I feel like the client should explain what they wanted out of the project um, and see how that translates because then you can really get the connection between the client and what the architect's actually done. Mm. Um, So I think that's a massive voice that needs to be amplified. Um, But just the way that architecture is marketed by architects, like it's so exaggerated. Every time (laughs) you read like a blog post or like an article or a post on Instagram from the actual architect you know it's always this is the best kind of design this is luxurious this is Mm. you know it's sort of like they're tooting their own horn a little bit it's because that sells exactly at the end of the day this they want to attract like they want to attract that higher end buyer and 
client um yeah. and yeah exactly it sells really well to those kind of people mm-hmm. um so whereas, me, that's that's both the architect and say a magazine or publication yeah you don't sell magazines with you know yeah average pictures that were sort of just shot on your on your phone um yeah but just the words that halfway through the day well, just the way that they yeah it's, to sell something. it's luxury it's, yeah. it's marketed as luxury when architecture is it's just you know everything is architecture but mm. they're trying to make it sound like it's this kind of higher form yeah. of design or something like I, yeah it really yeah there's some voices missing that you know could mm. give them even more clients you know it could open up the market a lot more mm. um yeah to, it's just a few things are missing there to the point that you know projects are photographed before they're you know public projects are, are photographed before they're opened yeah there's no people in there They've hardly just moved the furniture in and they're, exactly. they're taking photos because you've got to shoot everything before anything gets dirtied or and yeah. that's that's never experienced by anyone. After the first week it's <laughs> it's a lived in space. Yeah. Um, and we don't get to see that ever. It's yeah. very rare. Yeah. Um, maybe one of the only platforms that I can think of is say like uh, open house. Yeah. Um, but that's that's totally not um, sort of a a media yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's something that you go again, to educational. Um, it's, sort of, it's a different stream. Yeah. Um, but in terms of media, yeah, everything's just pristine, brand new, out of the box, yeah. quick, get it out to the people, and then and yeah. then we can start to actually use it. Yeah, it's it, it's so much misconception because like, you know, architecture is seen as this sort of higher form of design, but when in reality you can have bad architecture as well. Like, it's not all great and fancy and wonderful like it can still be terrible it just mm. you know it just depends on the architect depends on the client and mm. yeah so many factors that yeah. budget, miss. budget. <laughs> yeah i think it's also depending on like how i guess how cautious somebody's in terms of reputation is because i find that with the problem of bad architecture in quotes because a it's so subjective b somebody's ego or their pride is at stake that if you do describe somebody's architecture as bad architecture is perhaps the repercussions and i don't think that some people are prepared to own up to some of the things because i find that not many people talk about is post architecture i mean like there's post magazine um, and then there's Assemble Papers and Matters Journal. But what they don't talk about is the post-residency and people realising that we can always design for what we think is going to happen, but we can't design for what will actually happen because I find that is so self-determined by the user themselves yeah. as well. It's, uh, as, as a residential architect, I guess sort of my experience comes with sort of yeah, the lived in, lived in of a house um for me it's so important to get a client on board and have them involved for the whole process and really get to the bottom of what they want to use those spaces for and in a way you're trying to it's it's a little bit egotistical but you're sort of sign it trying to steer them to use a space a certain way depending on how you design it Mm -hmm. Um, but no matter how how well you do that how well you do your job um at the end of the day you're sort of giving them a space and you're, you're leaving them to their own devices and yeah. you speak about sort of yeah, post-occupancy and even if that property is sold and, mm-hmm. and someone new comes in, we don't really get to see how 
spaces change over the time, yeah. 10, 20, 30 years, you know, the way that we live is so different now and that's not how that it would have been designed in the first place. Yeah. Um, it'd be so interesting to see how projects get renovated, for example. Um, yeah. We certainly don't get to see that in the media. Yeah, that's another voice that's missing there. Definitely yeah. the post-occupancy. Um, <laughs> yeah, residential architecture would just be like some some clients I can just imagine would be absolutely just so fixated on what they want and what they think they want and, you know, all these spaces that they think they need. Um, you know, a, like any person can design their own home, but you d- won't necessarily get the best thing. That's why you go to an architect, you know, they can sort of guide you in ways of using spaces and things. And, and you're not trying to tell them how to live their life. You know, you want their input. You need to know how they live and, and you want to give them the best for for what you believe that they want. But, yeah, it, it has to work both ways. It's like because mm. it, it wouldn't function well if you, if you didn't have the client on board. And I think so many clients just think that they can, you know, this is just like a pathway to getting what they want. They don't think that, you know, the designer will have too much input if, if they're the ones with the money. Um, mm. So that kind of thing, like, kind of scares me about residential architecture. Um, I've only ever worked in in doing public public architecture so there's a lot of rules and regulations and things around that so it kind of limits the design a little bit anyway and it's a bit more safe like you can kind of steer it the way that you want it to go a bit further would you say there's almost a little bit of detachment in the sense that your client isn't necessarily the inhabitant yeah yeah 100 they're not actually going to be the sole person that uses it and if they are they're one of you know thousands 10,000 people that might use it so you know they don't want to be the one person to make the decision that everyone has to live with as well they lean on your expertise yeah 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 I find that really tricky because I had a brief experience in terms of public architecture because um the context of my work experience is that I was witnessing an arch- like a stage of the art in quotes again, like architecture being built on my school. And it's hilarious. And I felt slightly embarrassed because when I walk around talking to staff and you hear about them making like comments, like constructive criticisms and complaints, and part of you think like how involved were these people in or were at the same time. And I think that it makes this question like how personal do you want the projects to be? And I think that's, one of the reasons why post-occupancy isn't mentioned much because for us, our attachment to the project is at the finishing line, hand the keys, and then it's goodbye. And then the other thought is, even though we think we know what's best for people, but do have we put in enough empathy with the people who are actually going to use the space in order to make the place work? Because I know you can't fit 10,000 voices in a project, but at the same time, it's like, are you selective enough with the voice too? And then how do you, to get back to the overarching theme of the discussion, how do you represent that then, even if there is sort of a want to express those yeah. those feelings and, you know, do you have interviews with people and are people willing to read those documents or are they more interested in seeing pretty pictures? Yeah. Yeah, there's got to be, again, there's got to be a want to yeah. receive that information as much as there is to actually produce it. Definitely. You know, again, with sort of public buildings it's you go to a firm because you like what they've done before and you say give me that that's what i want mm. um it's sort of you don't get to flesh out too much of of the new project and the context and all that sort of thing um so it can be a bit limiting um mm. it's a fine line between 
between getting that dialogue going. And I think it's really important. Um, and, you know, the, there needs to be trust there. Um, often, you know, people think that they can trust an architect when really, you know, they just can't give all of themselves over. You know, they're very um, protective over their yeah. home, which is totally understandable, like they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. Um, <laughs> but they have to trust, you know, that if they're, going to have surgery that a surgeon's going to do the proper thing you've got to trust that what you're going to someone for is what they've been taught and what they know um mm. and you know reading reviews and testimonials and getting friends opinions and things to try and find the right architect or designer for someone is is also super important mm. yeah and i think going back to like approachability as well as accessibility I think it's also depending on the voices in terms of not the users but perhaps age as well because I think going back to how we're discussing about architecture media is about promoting the architect and or if not the company a part of me wonder is that because I think ultimately the people who are able to afford the architecture service as of now just given the current climate right now are people who perhaps live with that image of having to get people who are recognizable and trustworthy in the media. Whereas I'm thinking that because we've got emerging voices, like many of the people, like you've seen zines being published at um, unis as well, which I think it's also missing in the mainstream media. So it's about how do we try and integrate architecture with something that everybody's interested in for our age and then hopefully we can carry that similar vision as we get older and therefore breaking a few more stereotypes and boundaries as well. Yeah, a lot a lot of what we're trying to do in terms of there's, a, I think, a pretty strong interest there. Those mm. of platforms such as Instagram or even you think of some TV programs that a lot of people, you know, watch religiously. Um, mm. Clearly, to some level, some degree, people do have an interest in design and architecture. It's then about sort of using that and channeling it towards something broader and more substantial. And I think, like, it's also about those scenes, like going back to people currently, their own accessibility to other voices is through zines. It's about how do we bring them on board into the digital sphere given that I know I don't think traditional media will die anytime soon because I no. think architecture has some type of form that I think it's indestructible to an extent in terms of print media <laughs> but do you think like schema itself because I know right now the main platform is the website do you think you'll branch out to any other forms of publication um I'm really what about we, that? Yeah, our initial discussions didn't even involve much deliberation. It was just we should do a website because it was just just the first thing that came to mind is like the easiest way to yeah. distribute things quickly mm. and easily, which yeah. is the internet, um, but also have the space to do that, um, which you don't have in, say, social media. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be, I certainly would never be against any sort no. of publication, print publication. Yeah, um, I think, um, but the fact that we can do our website for free, for example, yeah. is something mm, that pay a small price for the website. Yeah, but there's nothing <laughs> to pay, for example, yeah, um, that makes it so much easier for for people like us to express ourselves. Yeah, um, we're quite fortunate in that regard, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure about 
mag- a magazine as such. Um, I think books are a great way to distribute knowledge these days because you have all the things through Amazon and Google. Um, they have a platform that they you can sell books and things on, which makes it a lot more accessible all over the world. I think magazines are a little bit, not limited, but they're a bit constrained to the area that you're in, maybe the city or or the state or so I wouldn't be opposed to it. I just don't know if it's something that is going to get the message out there for what it might cost or what, like all the effort that you're going to put into it. You, you don't get that same return. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> definitely not opposed because I think they're beautiful and, and they definitely serve a purpose. It's just you got to work out which way, like what you're trying to distribute and how far you want to go with it. Would you say that, I guess, magazines are sort of geared towards a collection of very short, concise ideas? Yeah. Whereas, say, a book sort of takes one one concept, one concept mm. and really fleshes that out. Mm. Yeah, that definitely. Of... Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think you, I don't know if you need both a website and a magazine because mm. um, they kind of do the same thing. Mm. I think they, they're obviously seen very differently because one's print and one's digital. Um, yeah. And the kind of the tangibility of a magazine is is really nice, and it's I reckon it sticks in your head a bit longer. Yeah, definitely. Again, definitely not opposed, but would have to really think about all the different ways of going about it before taking that step. I think. Yeah, yeah it makes sense because I was thinking like when I was just asked the question, I'm thinking, but the problem is we're currently living in a really efficient society, or at least I find that everybody is trying to make every minute count, and so it begs the question of how do you bring patience back into somebody when they're trying to absorb architecture because there is a lot to carry and sometimes I have to ask myself am I, am I reading through this too quickly or am I like actually absorbing the information and I think sometimes books like especially coffee table books like looks like images but it makes you really think back again I think the beauty of it is that it makes you keep looking back again, but as you keep looking back at it again, you're seeing more layers to it mm. as well. And I would love to see that kind of being put back into, I guess, the internet or the digital types of architecture media, which I think it's lacking. Yeah. Unpopular opinion, probably. <laughs> but I find that you have magazines transitioning to Instagram because that's where most of the mass consumption or instant consumption, instant gratification is there. But I think is that you can do it, but you need to have sincerity in there as well. And as, um, and vice versa from the people who are consuming, because going back to what Jake mentioned, the algorithm is a difficult thing to be. And I think it takes the audience, the readers to actually find a way to move with that in order to consume yeah, what we want them to get consume. To in, in physical sense is sort of you go to the, the news agent and sort of the magazines are, are sorted by their category and you've got your <laughs> <laughs> home and garden section yeah, um, or say a bookstore. Um, that's probably the closest you can get. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, I think sort of to maybe further what you were saying, Kim, it's all about perceived value. Mm. Sort of if it's if something's actually worth your time, as you said, we're so sort of fixated upon using every minute wisely at the moment. Yeah. Um, if something is worth your time, then you'll invest that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't think that you know a certain facet of architecture that is worth reading about, then you're not going to waste that time. Exactly. So how do we improve that value? 
yeah i think instagram has very very small um contributions to making people stop and read um Mm. definitely having the like igtv where people go to like the separate section of the app to view things um that shows a bit of interest because obviously you only get the clip Mm. Um, in in your feed things like bookmarking if people bookmark it kind of means that they want to go back again having the swipe across across photos so that people aren't just scrolling and liking scrolling and liking um makes you stop and scroll across so there are very sort of minor things which i guess is better than nothing (laughs) but (laughs) it's still got a long way to go if it if it wants to get that engageability across Mm. we're of Mm. course missing the most most important and the most obvious one, which is podcasts, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it's genius on your behalf. I mean, it's it's sort of taking something that you know you can actually flesh out an idea as as you're doing now, but on a, in a forum that you can perhaps just sort of you know put your earbuds in and you're doing something else, or you're in the car driving to work, or yeah. I guess maybe these are the ways that we can sort of if you're able to allow people to multitask maybe there isn't as much value that needs to be given to that time because they can do two things at once yeah. so if i can listen to a podcast at the same time that i'm cleaning the house for example you know i'm killing i'm killing two birds with one stone yeah you know it's just something i can chuck on yeah in the background while i'm doing something else so maybe that's the only way that we can yeah instead of trying to increase the value or something we're increasing the amount of spare time that they have in a way i don't, I don't know <laughs> Yeah, it's nice that it kind of detaches it from images as well. Yeah. I think it's good to really create that separation, which is obviously something that social media doesn't do. Um, mm. So, yeah, it is it is nice to have that, like, distinguishable sort of idea that you can absorb through listening. And this is information that you can absorb through listening. You don't have to necessarily look at it. So, yeah, I think that would be that would be a really cool, you know, thing for architecture if, they, if we could move towards more of that as well. Mm. I think like um, before, like one more comment before I ask for like a closing opinion and such. I think one of the things I find that architecture, because evidently it is aesthetic or visually based right now, we tend to ignore a lot of the other senses. So sometimes I'd like to challenge firms. Oh gosh, it's so bad for me to say this, but I like to challenge firms about like, yeah, but can we prioritize designing beyond sight about taste and touch? Um, because for me personally, one of the things I would love to be able to do is to design for somebody who is blind. So how are you good at describing your architecture services to somebody who doesn't prioritize vision but prioritize other senses as well um or somebody whose hearing's a lot stronger so are there ways that you think about materiality and how do you communicate that across and i think right now going back to how i guess we're kind of one-dimensional in terms of we're also fixed in a certain age group in terms of how the lifespan of architecture because you can design a forever home for somebody but it might be usable until they're like 60 before, I don't know if you don't look after your health arthritis kicks in Mm. and you have a double story. So what do you do about that? Like then makes you think about, yeah, as both of you mentioned, like the renovation and such. So I think that's probably my unpopular opinion right now. (laughs) And I think too, before we close things off, do you two have any like unpopular opinions or something you'd love to challenge in terms of the architecture media? Yeah, I think... 
with mainstream architecture media, it's it's definitely what I was saying before about the way that um, the marketing is done. I think my massive unpopular opinion is that architects have a massive ego and sometimes it gets in the way of, of creating great architecture for uh, for a lot of people. Um, I feel like it just, you know, it needs to be more accessible and I think that that is sort of like maybe they can tone it down a little bit. Um, so that's... I personally believe that everyone should have access to architecture. I think it's a, like just a fundamental building block of society. Um, and and if you can get things working well, then, you know, you can have things like social housing and housing for for um, Aboriginal people and just, just all these kind of people that don't have the access or don't have the money um, but really need the services. Like I just... I don't think it should be this kind of glamorous thing. I think all people deserve it and I would like to see that happen. So, and I know that's probably unpopular as well. <laughs> um, I think it's important. Yeah. My, my unpopular opinion, I guess, uh, agreeing with, with Emma, um, but that I guess sort of most social media platforms are geared towards individualism and, and, and self-indulgence. Um, and so it's so easy for, for architecture to fall into that into yeah. that model i think as we've spoken about sort of the the content uh, that is sort of put out put out there into the ethos is just so so shallow in a way it's just all about aesthetics uh, and it doesn't do anything to delve into sort of a, a deeper dialogue upon sort of what architecture is yeah. um the context the process how we got to that point how mm. it's used mm-hmm. um and in a way that's it's disappointing to me because that's how i think we create trends yeah. in architecture Mm. Um, people see things that they like and go, oh, I want to I don't replicate this, I want to replicate this because mm. I like how that looks in this photo. Whereas when architecture has an actual story behind it, um, there's reasons why a design has been made the way it has. That's when it's no longer trendy. It's it's sort of timeless because it's yeah. built for a purpose. Yeah, it's functional. Um, that doesn't date. Yeah, yeah, functionalism doesn't date. And so that's sort of, it's easy for architecture to slip into that um, and it can really really hurt the quality of architecture and the things that we're building and designing at the yeah. moment. So we've got to be careful of sort of how architecture is currently being misrepresented. Um, yeah. Misrepresentation in architecture. That's my unpopular opinion. <laughs> I think that's what schema is about. Yeah. Addressing the misconception. Mm. Mm. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully this also challenges other listeners and think about how they've been consuming architecture media because I think in the recent years, my opinion and perception towards architecture media has definitely changed. So who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of months, next couple of years. We'll see how it develops. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. watch this space. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, In the meantime, once again, thank you so much for both of you joining me today. I'm really, really happy to have you two here. It's always really nice catching up with friends from uni haven't seen for ages. Of course. Thank um, you so much for having us. No, thank you. That's okay. Uh, before we close things off, uh, would you like to plug in your Instagram handles or definitely your website, which I will leave in the notes, by the way? You can find us. Our website is schema.live, S-C-H-E-M-A.live. Uh, that's the website. Uh, and the Instagram handle is just at schema.architecture. Mm. Uh, is there anything else that we're... We're doing it at the moment. Yeah, that's it. 
check us out on That's it. Insta and our website. Yeah. Maybe a podcast coming soon inspired by Kim. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm more ears for that. We do need a lot more Australian design podcasts because I'm still trying to fit out my directory and, yeah, there's not many asterisks that's denoting Australian design podcasts. So always on the hunt for new materials to listen to. So, yeah, please let us know when you do. Sure. Awesome. No, <laughs> awesome. Well, anyhow, thanks for joining us, guys. And as always, please subscribe and comment and reach out to us if you've got any other opinions you'd like to share or like us to discuss. In the meantime, we'll see you for another episode. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye.